0: And he's good all the time. And uh, boy, Genesis Church is just a great story of his faithfulness. And uh, you got one of these when he came in today. Uh, I hope you'll hang on to this, put it on your refrigerator. Uh, we've got extras of these if you want to take them and help us get the word out that on Sunday night, June 23rd at 6:30, we're all going over to Grace and we're going to do a great big worship service there. In one place together. It's going to be a lot of fun. And interestingly enough, that's where the first worship service uh, for Genesis ever took place. And so it's kind of fun to go back uh, to that original location. Uh, Again, Sunday, June 23rd, 630. We won't have morning services that day. So we really need your help in getting the word out. It's going to be a great night together. And we hope that you'll mark it on your calendar. Uh, My name is Paul Mumaw, and I'm the lead pastor here at Genesis. And uh, if this is your first time, we welcome you and welcome everyone else. Uh, If you've got your Bibles, I'd invite you to take them and turn to 1 Kings chapter 4. Or if you've been following along in the storybook, uh, we're going to be in chapter 13 today, and we'll look at those verses uh, in just a moment. You know, thankfully, uh, it doesn't happen often. Uh, But every once in a while, occasionally, there's a breaking news story that comes across on Twitter, on the Internet, or maybe across the news screen or something telling us about an accident. And uh, you all know, we all know that whatever it involves, something like with mass transportation or something, there are lots of questions and immediate concerns, like something with an airplane crash. And it's always a big news story, especially if there's a large loss of life. We know that it can be very disturbing. And one of the things that we see is that before anyone, uh, because there's always all sorts of questions that come out of an accident like that, before anyone starts answering questions, anyone starts talking from any of the transportation agencies or from something like the FAA, they always talk about wanting to recover what? Anybody know what it is? The black box, right? We're talking about the black box. Now, what is the black box? Well, we know that it's the indestructible box that if they just made the whole plane out of that material, you know, maybe there'd be a completely different outcome. But, and, and I'm not sure why it's called the black box, because if you look into it or not, it's actually fluorescent orange uh, on most occasions. But the, the technical term for this particular piece of equipment is the flight data recorder for airplanes, uh, for that matter. And, and it's because it captures all of the data. I mean, it, it answers lots and lots of questions, like questions like how fast the plane was going. Uh, it, it answers the question for how uh, the altitude for which the plane was at at any given time. It, it answers the question of what direction the plane was heading or what the pilot was doing, what was being shared or said in the cockpit at any given time. I mean, really, it contains all of the data that the investigators need to look at to figure out what was it that went wrong and, if possible, how to make certain that something like this never happens again well we've been in this series here called the story and what we're doing is we're reading through the bible together in 2013 and many of our connection groups are talking about it when they get together uh, we're talking about it here on sunday mornings i hope that you're reading along with this if you're reading in your own bible too uh, that counts that's important but as we study together it's almost like we're recovering black boxes of data on many of the people different individuals and families in the old testament and we're learning things about their lives i mean we're learning what they did right and we're learning what they did wrong and when they did mess up we're kind of looking investigating and asking what was it that led to the crash And hopefully as we study these people together, I mean, we're not only seeing what happened. I mean, we're not just simply retrieving data, but but I hope that we can learn from them and we can learn from their actions so that we can implement some appropriate changes so that something like that never happens to us. Last week, we looked at the life of David and we just saw what happens when you make a bad choice. And how our choices have these consequences. And how everything went wrong for him. And all of this chaos that followed for David and for his family. And how it all fell apart. And this week we're going to recover the black boxes, if you would, for King Solomon. Now, King Solomon is David's son. uh, The next king of Israel. And Solomon was a lot of things. I mean, he had so much going for him. I mean, so much potential. But there was one thing. There was one thing that really kept him, prevented him from reaching his potential. And what we're going to see and what we're going to discover today and maybe what you've learned for yourself even as you've read through his story is that in despite, that despite all of this potential and all of these things that he had going for him, despite all of his blessings, Solomon's life didn't go as planned. And so we want to just kind of open up the black box and see if we can learn why and what we can do to make sure that something like that doesn't happen to us too. So 1 Kings chapter 4, or chapter 13 in the story. And as we go along, let's just do this. Let's make a list. It's in your notes. Let's just make a list of some of the things that we know about Solomon. And it's in your notes. The first thing is this. We know that Solomon was wise. And chances are you might have even known that. That might have been your first response. And we know this man had the gift of wisdom. And who gave him this gift of wisdom? Well, First Kings 4, right in verse 29, it starts off like this. God gave Solomon wisdom. It came from God. And it says, in very great insight, a breadth of understanding, as measureless as the sand on the seashore. Now Solomon's wisdom was greater than the wisdom of all of the people of the east, and greater than all of the wisdom of Egypt. He was wiser than anyone else. The story goes like this. I mean, one day God simply said to Solomon, one gift, one wish, what is it that you want? Anything at all. I mean, what would you ask for? Like, if you were given an opportunity like that, I mean, how many of you would ask for the winning numbers for that jackpot last night, that big Powerball, right? All right, A few people that are honest, that are willing to raise their hand. I mean, maybe maybe some of you would ask for a certain athletic ability. Maybe you'd ask for a, a particular house. Maybe you'd ask for health, for some healing in your life. Uh, maybe you'd ask for a marriage that you don't have. Uh, maybe if you don't have kids, maybe you'd ask for a child. Solomon asked the Lord for the gift of wisdom, Wisdom to lead God's nation well. And God was pleased. He was pleased that Solomon didn't ask for more wealth. He didn't ask for more power. He asked for wisdom. And Solomon became so wise that leaders and people from all around the world would travel to Israel just to meet him, just to learn from him. People like the Queen of Sheba, which some scholars believe she came from as far away as Ethiopia, because when she heard about Solomon's fame, she had all of these questions. The Bible says these tough questions that she wanted to take to him to see if he could answer. And it says this in First 1 Kings 10.3, it said Solomon answered all of her questions. Nothing was too hard for him to explain to her. Guys, can I talk to you for just a moment? What would it be like to have such a gift? That your wife could ask you a question and that you would have this wisdom to answer that question in such a way that she was completely satisfied with your answer. That kind of gift only comes from heaven, right? I mean, you realize that. I mean, that's what Solomon had. That's what he had going for him. We know that he was wise. Secondly, we know that he was a writer too. I mean, he had all of this wisdom and thankfully for you and me, he wrote things down. I mean, he wrote down these warnings. He wrote down these instructions. I mean, we need that kind of help. I mean, we need that kind of instruction for everyday life. It doesn't have to be as complicated as you think either, you know. Sometimes what we're looking for, well, it's just not that profound. I mean, it's in the simple stuff. I mean, we all need this instruction with how to use something like this, right? There's a tag on one of these. You know, if you read the tag on your hair dryer, there's a chance that it says, do not use while sleeping. It's right on there. I Trust me. I mean, it says that on there. Hey, if you're blow-drying your hair while you're in bed, like, you... Take the personal day, all right? Call in sick. You probably need a little break or something. Uh, if you read the tag on your iron, uh, it'll say something like, do not iron clothes while they're on your body. Yeah, no good can come from that, all right? It doesn't matter if you've got a wrinkle at that point. You want a permanent wrinkle? Uh, or uh, how about on the Christmas lights? There's a tag on the Christmas lights that says, for indoor or outdoor use only. I think that pretty much covers it, you know, unless you're looking for your underwater Christmas lights, you're going to have to go somewhere else. Well, maybe those aren't the kinds of instructions that Solomon gave us. He gave us real wisdom and a lot of his wisdom, a lot of his words for us are recorded in this story, but even more in your Bible, Solomon's credited for writing 1,005 songs. Uh, he's credited for 3,000 Proverbs. Proverbs like this one in Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. It says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding in all your ways, not most of your ways. He says, In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make your paths straight. He was talking about generosity. And, you know, in in Proverbs 3, 9, and 10, he says, Honor the Lord with your wealth. Hey, here's how you should live. Honor the Lord first with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your crops, then your barns will be filled to overflowing and your vats will brim over with new wine and speaking about character, his wisdom on character and integrity in Proverbs twenty nineteen he just says, A gossip betrays confidence. So avoid anyone who talks too much. I mean Proverbs is packed full of with all of this wisdom, and we should read it and learn from it and gain from it. In fact, you know, as we, we're going to take a break from the story, we, we've been in this for uh, 13 weeks now, and we're going to take a five week break. Uh, starting next week. And you can do a couple of things with that time. Maybe you got started into reading through your Bible with us and you kind of fell off a little bit. That happens. Hey, use this time and get caught back up. Or uh, maybe you got all the way through and you've loved it and you've gained from it. Uh, you can do it again. You know, use the next five weeks and to read through everything we've gone through again. Or if you want something different, uh, take the book of Proverbs. You know, what if over the next five weeks he said, "You know, here's what I'm going to do: just read one chapter a day, and just read the book of Proverbs and gain from it and learn from it." I mean, it's why it's there. I mean, it's why he left these words for us so that we could be changed and we could be different. He was wise. He was a writer. He was rich. He was filthy rich. You know, according to the Bible, Solomon accumulated more than 25 tons of gold in his lifetime. Uh, 1 Kings uh, 10.23 says that he was richer than any ruler, any king or queen on the earth. And in about 960 B.C., which is almost 500 years after the construction of the tabernacle, uh, 480 years after the exodus of the Israelites from Egypt, Solomon started, initiated this construction project to build a temple. And what he did was he hired 180,000 workers. Uh, They were hired to come and to construct to build this temple for the Lord. And the work took seven years. Seven years. I mean, they had no equipment like we have, no tools like we have. And so 180,000 workers, seven years to build this elaborate temple. And not only did he use his resources to construct this temple for God, but he built a palace for himself too. And interesting enough, I... I just think while it took seven years to build and construct the temple, do you know it took 13 years for the workers to construct his massive palace? I think that might just give us a little hint of what we're going to see as we look into the black box of his life. And in addition to these buildings, Solomon built and acquired ships and cities and palaces, uh, one for his wife. Uh, he, He had thousands of horses and chariots. I mean, Solomon was a rich man, but we also know that he was a worshiper. I really do think he had the right intent. I mean, we know he built the temple. God gave him this responsibility over his father David, and he built this temple to bring glory to God. He built this temple so that God's presence could have a place to dwell. And when you read 1 Kings 8 and you read Solomon's prayer of dedication for the temple, you can see that he had a heart and he had a desire to do what was right. I mean, he intended to lift up and to exalt and glorify God, but unfortunately... Unfortunately for Solomon, one of the things that he is really known for is that Solomon was a ladies' man. I mean, you just say it like that. I mean, he he loved the ladies. And are you ready for this? The Bible says that he had 700 wives and 300 concubines. Now, concubine is just another fancy term uh, for more wives. That's 1,000 women. And for Solomon, this was in direct conflict for the plan with which God had for him i mean solomon had two things at least two things going for him against this in this i mean first of all you know while we see polygamy on more than one occasion in the old testament god never authorized it it's not from him i mean it may have been culturally accepted at the time but it was never accepted or authorized by god in fact in every situation and circumstance you know that follow this this act of, of polygamy. I mean, God's plan for marriage going all the way back to the beginning in the book of Genesis has always been one man and one woman. He said the two will become one. But secondly, not only did Solomon take many wives, but he took wives from foreign countries. First uh, Kings 11, verse 1, it says, King Solomon, however, loved many foreign women besides Pharaoh's daughter. Moabites, Ammonites, Edomites, Sidonians, and Hittites. They were from nations which the Lord had told the Israelites, you must not intermarry with them because they will surely turn your hearts after
1: their gods. Nevertheless, Solomon held fast to them in love. Now why do you think he did something like this? Here's the wisest man with all of this power and all of these resources, and all of this influence. I mean, why would one man so blessed by God go against well, God's very own plan for his life? I mean, it really is the tragic part of the lower story for Solomon, and it's this, that he was just unhappy. I mean, this guy was dissatisfied. Something was missing.
0: I mean, the king who had it all had all of the wisdom, all of the money, all of the abilities,
1: all of the women. He wasn't satisfied. I mean, you could say that his life was unfulfilling. I mean, it lacked purpose. And, and while we
0: read all of this and we learn all of this from uh, about Solomon's life in 1 Kings, and you can read about it in history books. We can read more about him from him. In another book in the Bible, it's called the book of Ecclesiastes. And it's in the middle of your Bible, in the middle of the Old Testament, and You could say that while 1 Kings is a biography of Solomon's life, Ecclesiastes is really kind of like his diary. And it's just where Solomon opens up at the very end. As an older man, as he opens up about his life and everything that he sought to accomplish, it's almost like his black box where he just comes right out and says, hey, here's the story of my life. Here's what I did and what I thought and everything that I learned. And so read it and learn from me and don't make the same poor decisions that I made. And I want to give you just a little glimpse of that. Uh, it's in Ecclesiastes chapter 2. Uh, if you want to go there in your own Bible, and we'll have the words on the screen too, but I I want to just show you some of the things that he wrote down that have been preserved for us in God's Word in Ecclesiastes chapter 2 starting in verse 1. As an older man looking back and everything that he has to say about everything that he pursued along the way. Ecclesiastes 2 starting in verse 1. It says, I said to myself, come now, I will test you with pleasure to find out what is good. But that also proved to be meaningless. Laughter, I said, is madness. And what does pleasure accomplish? I tried cheering myself with wine and embracing folly, my mind still guiding me with wisdom. I wanted to see what was good for people to do under the heavens during the days of their lives. I undertook great projects. I built houses for myself and planted vineyards. I made gardens and parks and planted all kinds of fruit trees in them. I made reservoirs to water groves of flourishing trees. I bought male and female slaves and had other slaves who were born in my house. I also owned more herds and flocks than anyone in Jerusalem before me. I amassed silver and gold for myself and the treasure of kings and provinces. I acquired male and female singers and a harem as well, the delights of a man's heart. I became greater by far than anyone in Jerusalem before me. In all this, my wisdom stayed with me. I denied myself nothing my eyes desired. I refused my heart no pleasure. My heart took delight in all my labor, and this was the reward for all my toil. So he says, hey, I did all of these things, and here's what I get out of it in the very end.
1: Verse 11. Yet when I surveyed all that my hands had done and what I had toiled to achieve, everything was meaningless. A chasing after the wind, he called it. Nothing was gained under the sun. So Solomon said, hey, I tried laughter.
0: I tried entertainment. I tried drinking and partying. I tried important projects and houses and hobbies and different jobs. I had servants that waited on me, hands and feet. I had maids and butlers and masseurs and personal
1: shoppers. And you know what? Here's what I take away from it in the very end. Useless. Meaningless couldn't deliver than what I hoped it would. But again, Solomon is best known in his pursuit of happiness with all of these women.
0: 700 wives and 300 concubines. Let me ask you this. Do you think that each time he got married, he thought to himself, maybe this is the one. Maybe this marriage will finally do it for me. Maybe this time I'll be happy. Maybe this time we'll have a family and it'll satisfy me. But over and over again, as Solomon reflects on his life, I mean, this man with unlimited money, unlimited power and potential, unlimited
1: wisdom and unlimited women, he just says, meaningless. I mean, it's like chasing the wind. I think every single one of us has something in common with Solomon. I think that Americans so can relate to this guy right here. I mean, because if you talk to the
0: average man or a woman today and you just ask them about the meaning of life, I mean, there's a really good chance that they're going to say something like, oh, yeah, the meaning of life is my happiness. It's the pursuit of happiness. Life is all about happiness. The purpose of life is me happy. And and so that means do whatever you got to do. Try whatever you need to try. I mean, do what feels good. As long as nobody gets hurt along the way, it's all good. And even if they don't say it, or even if we won't say it, we all think it. We all try these things, or at least we act like it. I mean, we just, we just think that a bigger house or another piece of property or a nicer car, that it'll make me happy. We think that if I have a sexier body or a better tan or nicer clothes, a different wardrobe, well, then I'll finally be happy or a different wife's going to make me happy or a different husband's going to make me happy. I mean, whatever it is, we're all about looking for personal pleasure and happiness in all of these things and all sorts of different people. And that's what Solomon did. I mean, he went looking for happiness and wealth and things and women and this pursuit of love and this ongoing pursuit of physical satisfaction. It didn't stop his decline. It really only accelerated it. First Kings 11, verse 3, it's recorded for us. It says, he had 700 wives of royal birth and 300 concubines, and his wives led him astray. Well, why would he be surprised? Doesn't God have our best in mind? If God says don't go there, He means it. And as Solomon grew old, his wives turned his heart after other gods and his heart was not fully devoted to the Lord his God as the heart of his father David had been. He followed Ashtoreth, the goddess of the Sidonians, and the detestable god of the Ammonites. So Solomon did evil in the eyes of the Lord. He did not follow the
1: Lord completely as David his father had done. And this in my opinion, I believe to be the most revealing. I mean, it's where we ultimately find what led to Solomon's crash. It's in your notes. Write it down. Solomon had a divided heart. He had this problem of a divided heart. I mean, he loved the Lord, but he didn't love the
0: Lord completely. I mean, he built a temple for the Lord, but a bigger palace for himself. I mean, he followed God when it was to his advantage and when it was convenient. But when it wasn't, he went his own way. Solomon had a divided heart. And how does something like that happen?
1: I mean, again, Solomon was someone that God anointed. God chose him to be king. And he had so much going for him. And early on, he was moving in the right direction. So what happened? Well, I think it could
0: have been a number of things. I mean, maybe, first of all, maybe it was all the success and prosperity. I mean, I think it comes out of that. I mean, we see that a lot, don't we? I mean, you know, why is it? I was reading this past week that something like 60% of retired NBA players end up filing bankruptcy. I mean, Allen Iverson, for example, played in the NBA for 14 seasons, wasn't a big fan of practicing, um, but before retiring, you know, he finally retired in 2010. Despite making more than 154 million dollars, he was broke less than two years after leaving the game. Maybe it's a pride or an arrogance issue. Maybe that, maybe that's what led to Solomon's fall. I mean, when we're prideful, I mean, we're just so settled into taking care of ourselves. I mean, even as Christians, it, it's like we're saying to God, "Hey, I know better." Um, I'm I'm going to be greater here than you. I want to be in control. I, I want to be in charge of this ship and where it's going. And I mean, is that what it was for Solomon? I mean,
1: whatever the reason, we know the cause of his downfall and his depression was that he had a divided heart. And it's
0: interesting when we look back over to the past few weeks. Even if you think about some of the kings that we've studied, uh, if you were here three weeks ago, we talked about King Saul. Uh, King Saul, you could say, had a hard heart his heart was was very hard and over a period of time and with a series of events his heart just gets darker and darker and more rebellious towards god i mean it's kind of like what happened with the pharaoh when the bible says that over time he just hardens his heart towards god well then comes along david all right david is the father of solomon and the bible says that his heart was devoted to god he was a man after god's heart and that doesn't mean he didn't make some mistakes we talked some about those last week but instead of a hardened heart his heart was a heart that grew and and the bible says that he strengthened his heart and because of a real sense of humility that was in him i mean it allowed his relationship to grow and his heart to grow and when we get to solomon we just find that he had a divided heart and it, i i think I, I think it's almost kind of like this wishy-washy 50-50 deal that he's got going on with god i mean i mean kind of like solomon with all of his wives i mean can you imagine that sort of a conversation talking with one of his, hey i love you and I so love our time together. Whatever. Hey, hold on for just a second. Well, one of my other wives is calling. I've I, I got to go. I'll, you know, I'll be back later. I'll be back you know, next year or something like that. i you know, I got to get around here or whatever. The Bible says that Solomon's heart wasn't fully devoted to God. And, and it wasn't like his heart was dark. It wasn't like his heart was evil or that his hard part, heart was hard like that of Saul's. He just had a weak heart. And it really wanted to follow God. But when the... But where the rubber hit the road, Solomon wasn't willing to fully surrender his heart and his life and his
1: will to God. And ultimately, I believe this is what caused all of the grief and all of the frustration for him. And you want to know what I believe to be one of the greatest challenges for me in my
0: life and maybe for many of you and and Christians, especially today, is that we have divided hearts. We have a divided heart. It's the challenge of a divided heart because we're not completely focused or committed to our God or to our Savior. And so we'll say, hey, I want to follow Jesus, but let's not get carried away in this. Or here's what I'll do. I'm willing to go to church on Sundays and be there with my family and maybe get involved in a little and join a group and serve, but let's not go overboard like in
1: this Jesus stuff so that it has to affect everything. Or we'll look for satisfaction in everything our relationship with God.
0: Or we'll say things like, I want to go deep. Like, we we got to go deep, whatever that means. and But yet we're not willing to do the personal work of prayer and reading our Bibles and really understand. I mean, we want somebody else to do that work for us. So we'll say that we've given up all our hurt to God, but we'll just carry around. We'll, we're just satisfied to continue carrying around the bitterness and the anger. We'll show up for church on Sundays, but live differently during the week. In fact, there's a chance that you work with people that because of the way they act and because of the way they talk, it would drive you crazy that they might be sitting in a church like this somewhere else in this area today. I'm like, really? I can't believe they go to church. But
1: the question is, would somebody think that way of you? Like, I had no clue that they would call themselves a follower of Jesus. It's the danger of having a divided heart. It's like saying, hey, I'm a Christian, but I don't know if I can
0: completely trust God. Or I'm a Christian, but there are just certain parts of my life where I really feel like I know better. Or I'm a Christian, but I don't think God completely understands what I need or what I want, and so in these specific areas of my life,
1: I'm going to make the call. I think the divided heart is a problem and a challenge for every single one of us, much like it was
0: for Solomon too, and it's just interesting. That at the very end of his diary, in Ecclesiastes, Solomon kind of concludes with this great big lesson for us. And here's what Solomon says. Solomon just basically says, hey, you've heard the whole story. I've come clean. I've told you about the ups and downs, the mistakes, and all of the things that I pursued along the way. This pursuit of happiness, in money, and women, and stuff, and in vacations. I'll tell you what, it was all meaningless. It was all useless. And if I could only live my life over again, I would take that in a second. But because I've learned, here's what I'm writing down and sharing with you and preserving for you, even for this day today. What I've learned from my mistakes, I now pass on to you. And Solomon basically says, this is the key to life. With this wisdom that God has given me and all of my understanding and all that I've experienced, he says, here's the key and the purpose of life. There's a chance, it might surprise you, that there is a clear and specific answer to that question in your Bible." In Ecclesiastes 12.13, here's how Solomon concludes. He says, hey, now all has been
1: hurt. All out in the open, all the data. Here's the conclusion of the matter. Fear God and keep His commandments. For this is the duty, Solomon says, this is the purpose for all men and women today. Fear God and keep His commandments. Solomon says, I... I thought the purpose of my life was to make me
0: happy, but I was wrong, and here's what I've learned, and here's what I leave to you. The purpose of life
1: is to fear God and keep His commandments. That word fear means total reverence. It's understanding His divine and holy position, and then there's me. It's absolute devotion. Solomon says this is the purpose of life, and... So we, should we be surprised when hundreds of years later,
0: God's own Son Jesus came on the scene, and many years later, you know, He called people to follow to life change with words like these. It's really when you think about it, His own interpretation of Solomon's words. And in Luke nine twenty three, here's what Jesus said. He says, "Whoever wants to be my disciple," which is just another way of saying a Christian, a follower must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow Me. Because here's the thing. Jesus didn't come to this earth so that you could be better behaved. He didn't come to this earth to give you better manners. He didn't come to this earth so that you and your family would have something to do on Sunday mornings. Jesus didn't even come to this earth to improve your life.
1: Jesus Christ came to this earth to invite you to die to yourself and to follow Him. Totally and completely. C.S. Lewis wrote it this way. Here's what his interpretation
0: of this is. He says, Christ says, give me all. I don't want so much of your time and so much of your money and so much of your work. I want you. I have not come to torment your natural self, but to kill it. No half measures are any good. I don't want to cut off a branch here or there. I want to have the whole tree down. I don't want to drill the tooth or crown it or stop it, but to have it out. And that's just another way of saying that Jesus is not looking for half-hearted followers. It's in your notes. But Jesus is looking for people whose hearts are completely devoted to Him. That's absolutely
1: 100%, nothing less devoted to Him. He's given us no other option. He says this is the way to follow. This is the way to life and purpose, and significance. Put that
0: verse back up for a second. Luke 9.23 It's why Jesus said that anyone wants to follow Me must deny themselves. That word just means to simply let go of all selfish desires and intent. It's saying, God, I'm no longer in charge. You're piloting this boat, this ship now. I am putting you in control and complete control of My life. And then Jesus said, take up your cross. Now, the people of the day knew what that meant. I mean, this was about dying to selfish desires and ambitions, but it also means saying that I would follow Jesus to the point that if it even means giving my physical life
1: for Him, I'll do that. I'm that devoted to Him. But then the key word, and I think the word that makes
0: all of the difference today especially if you're here this morning and you're in this place right now and your heart or in your mind and you know that your heart is divided and you don't want to be
1: there, but you want to be able to say I'm completely devoted to my Savior, the key word is daily. It, it is a daily decision to follow Jesus. It's a personal choice that
0: we make each day to pray and to say, Lord Jesus, my heart is completely and absolutely devoted devoted to You. There is no other option. And so no matter what You call Me to or no matter what You ask Me to do today, I belong to You. I am completely devoted to You. And then in verse 24, Jesus says, hey, by the way,
1: those who try on their own to save their life will learn what Solomon learned. They'll lose it. But, whoever loses their life for Me will find it and
0: according to Jesus and Solomon too, that's the only life worth living. That's the only invitation, the only option that He's left us to live a life where my heart is completely and absolutely
1: devoted to Him in all things, every day, in all that I do. And so let me ask you this. Is your heart completely devoted to God today? everything, your will and your desires and your dreams and your ambitions, your relationships, can you say that my heart is completely devoted to God? Do you want to say,
0: hey, I'm not there and I know that I mess up and I know that I've made mistakes along the way, but yes, my heart's desire is to be completely devoted to Jesus today. Is that a prayer that you would want to pray today? Is that a commitment that you want to make? David wrote it this way in Psalm eighty six eleven. He writes, Teach me your way, Lord, that I may rely on your faithfulness. Give me an undivided heart, that I may fear your name. David prays for it. He asks for it. I'm guessing it is a daily decision, a daily prayer that he had to pray, and is it a prayer, a daily decision that you would be willing to make too to pray? God,
1: give me an undivided heart.
0: You know, maybe your next step towards an undivided heart is baptism. I mean, as you heard just a moment ago, on June 23rd, we're going to have a great service of celebration and baptism. It is an opportunity for you to stand in front of your friends and your family and your church and make this public statement where you say, today I am choosing to follow Jesus with my whole heart all of my life.
1: And baptism is a public statement of an inner decision that you've made to trust Jesus with your life to say, hey, it all belongs to you. There's no
0: better way to show it If you've never done anything like that before, uh, you can sign up on our website. You can talk to any of
1: us here on the team. Uh, We'd be happy to give you the information about taking those next steps. Let's pray. God, as we pray, I, I, I I start with me. And I pray that prayer, Lord, that David prayed. God, that You would teach me Your way. That I may rely on Your faithfulness. And God, I pray that You would give me an undivided heart that I may fear Your name. As we pray, let me just ask You, is that a prayer that You would be willing to pray today and mean it and respond to it? To just pray, Lord, give me an undivided heart that I may fear Your name. God, we thank You um, that we can turn to You. We thank You,
0: Lord. We're reminded that we need Your help in this, that we can't do this on our own, but that we need Your strength and we need Your power and Your presence in us to pray a prayer like this, to hold to the promises that You will deliver on those things that You say You will, and then to walk out of doors like these and live our
1: lives differently for the name of Jesus Christ, our Savior, who gave His life for us. Where He invites you today, and I'll tell you, His grace is good and His love is good because He knew that I would
0: mess up. He knows that, that you and I, we are weak on our own, that we can't do it ourselves, and that we've said one thing and done another. That we've had this intent along the way and that we stumble over and over again. His love is good. His strength is good. And maybe as a way of responding to today, you just pray, Lord, I need you. You just pray that today, Lord God, I need you because I can't do this myself, but give me an undivided heart today that I would be completely and fully and absolutely devoted to you. That's his desire. That's what he wants for us. Will you respond to him in that way today? And I want to pray for those of you that are here today and maybe, maybe you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior you've never responded to that invitation you've never invited him into your life and embraced that love and that forgiveness that is available to you but you're sitting here today and as you think about life you you know that you've gone looking for satisfaction and happiness in so many different things and they can't deliver I pray and I hope more than anything that you will hear today that there is one thing in this world that can deliver and His name is Jesus Christ and He changes everything once and for all and He can do that in your life today. God, will you just open your heart to Him today? You can just pray this prayer with me if you want to invite Jesus Christ to be your Lord and Savior. Just pray, Lord, I need you. God, I need Jesus in my life. Forgive me of my sins wipe the slate clean and give me a desire to follow you with all of my heart beginning today. God, we thank you. And I thank you, Lord, for these prayers and these commitments offered up to you today. God, we pray that you would walk with us now, that you would go with us now as we take these next steps, as we respond to you,
1: as we live it out. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.